this is the sort of annual visit to this part of the world and I'm glad to have Doreen, my wife, with me. She's not quite as old as I am, but coming on behind, you know. But we praise the Lord. We've been in California for over a week, and uh, here almost a week, and we're going on to the pastor's conference. We'll have been here for three weeks, and it's good to come because I need to improve my English. And so I improve my accent, you see, and... Uh, uh, getting a bit deaf in this ear, I find it more and more difficult to understand what Americans are saying. Because the trouble is we are, we are two nations who are divided by a common language, you see. <laughs> and uh, I, I think of myself when I can't quite catch what somebody's saying, of the old lady who heard some American choir that came over to England and singing all sorts of things. They were dressed in beautiful clothes, you see. And they sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Do you happen to know that, the Battle Hymn of the Republic? And one of the lines goes, there, there he, is, he is treading out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. That's what we say in English. But they were singing it, he is treading out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. And you say it, you see. And the old lady went home and she said to her husband, I heard some Americans singing. I don't know what they were singing about, she said, but it was something about they're heading down the village where the great giraffes are stored. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're heading down the village where the great giraffes are stored, (laughs) remember the battle hymn of the Republic. So be, (laughs) be very gentle with us British people when we can't quite catch what you're saying. Now, I'm not preaching the same message. I I find it difficult to just repeat the same message. It seems to be a bit artificial. So I asked the Lord to give me, so I'm preaching three different messages today, and uh, the Lord's made them alive. I want you to turn to the epistle, to the book of Philemon, the letter to to Philemon. It's the shortest, almost the shortest book in the New Testament, not quite as short as 3 John. But it's only 25 verses, and uh, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. In the original, there were only 334 words, but it's a great, great book. Now, I want you to keep it before you, and I want you to go through the story that lies behind this letter. It is uh, one of the most diplomatic and... uh, polite letters that Paul ever wrote. He's dealing with a very tricky subject and when you're dealing with something that's tricky you need to be very diplomatic and he is here. Henry Drummond, if you may have heard of him, was a scientist and was a great Christian worker of the last century and he wrote a number of scientific books but one little book he wrote which I love was called The Greatest Thing in the World and it's a masterpiece Now, what what you would have written if I gave you uh, uh, the subject and said, will you write on the greatest thing in the world? Is it nuclear power or is it American philosophy or what is it? But he wrote on love. It's a treatise on 1 Corinthians 13. And I believe he was right because Dr. Jowett, who was one of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' predecessors at Westminster Chapel, London, once said, the biggest thing that you and I can ever know is the love of God in Christ. 
And Paul writes that, doesn't he, in Ephesians, that you may know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, the length and breadth and depth and height of that love. So there's nothing more important that I could preach this morning than this. And I want to take it from this fascinating story in this shortest book of all. I don't know whether you read it very much. Somebody has said it's like a pearl of exquisite beauty in the rich treasure of the New Testament. It's about the greatest thing in the world. Now what's the story behind this book? It's this, that in the great Roman Empire of the first century AD, there were 60 million slaves. People that were gathered from all the countries that the Romans had conquered. And they gathered in Rome. They were pathetic products of Rome's vast international conquests. And the greatness of Rome was largely built on slave labor. Slaves lived without any rights. They had no liberties. And very often they had no hope. And if a slave did anything wrong, he was immediately punished, and there were certain things that if he did, he was executed. Had no court of law they could go to and plead their case. They were lived under the doom of torture and even death, beatings. Now, in the year 1662 AD, there lived in the town of Colossae, to which the epistle of the Colossians was written, a man who was rich, and his name was Philemon. That's why this epistle is called Philemon. It's written to him. And he, it appears, had been converted through the ministry of Paul. We don't know how. Paul, you remember, spent a lot of time in Ephesus, and the gospel spread throughout the whole of that Asia Minor, and Colossae was a town that was reached nearby, and Philemon was converted. And like many of the wealthy early Christians, he had a big house, and so he established a house church in his home. He probably was a leader of the church, we don't know. And being a wealthy man in a Roman society, he had slaves. Now one of these slaves was a chap called Onesimus. I should have said Guy. Sorry, I said chap. <laughs> That's why I have to come to America to learn what high is and guy is and, and bucks and all these kind of things that I never knew before. <laughs> I thought bucks were things that jumped around, but my dollars don't jump around. Anyway, <laughs> you're great people for, imagine, for inventing words, aren't you? Well, anyway, there were... <laughs> I don't know what your diction is going to be like when you're finished. <laughs> but, but one of these slaves was called Onesimus. And uh, his name means profitable, useful. Maybe he was useful, I don't know. But I don't think so because he got very discontented and then he ran away. And in the process he stole some of Philemon's money, apparently. Now, where did you run to when you wanted to run in, in the Roman world? Well, you, you run to Rome. That's the best place. And uh, he does so. And Paul writes this letter, which is the example of courtesy and tax, tact and kindness, because he's writing about Onesimus. Now you say, what's this got to do with me? Well, it's got a lot to do with you and me. But I want you to think of this letter as being written to you. 
personally, put your name there instead of Philemon. Uh, because Martin Luther once said that what Paul does for Onesimus in writing this letter, Jesus has done for every one of us. Get that. What Paul does for Onesimus, Jesus has done for you and me. Because Luther said we are all Onesimuses. So this is a, a, a letter about love. It's about God's love. And it's about the love that follows us. And the love that finds us. And the love that frees us. And the love that changes us. That's the message of the book of Philemon. Let's look first of all the love that follows us. Onesimus had run away to Rome. Uh, he was one of the world's many runaways. He fled across the lands and across the Aegean Sea and got to Italy and got to Rome. Because Rome was a place where all the flotsam and jetsam of society gathered and lost itself in all the labyrinthine streets of Rome. You could really lose yourself there if you were on drugs or in vice. Or all the vice and misery of the world settled there like uh, a, lot of, a lot of mud. So he lost himself there. We don't know what happened to him. No record. And we live in a world like this, a runaway world. All sorts of ways people run away. Run away from God. Maybe you run away. Adam and Eve ran away at the very beginning. Hid in the trees. And men and women have been running away ever since. I've run away from God. If you can hide from the scrutiny of the holy eyes of God, we'll do so. We hide behind excuses. We hide behind uh, blaming other people. We hide behind all sorts of things. I had a big congregation of almost as big as this one time in my life <clears throat> twice actually two churches but one church particularly was a man who always used to come I saw him there and I met him one day and I began to talk to him and I found he wasn't a Christian and I said why do you come to our church well he said because there's a big crowd and I love to sit in a crowd because you know I can uh, nobody can find me in a crowd and we like that. We can hide in our fears and our guilt, hide behind all sorts of things. I don't know whether you ever heard of a poem called The Hound of Heaven. It's about a man uh, called Francis Thompson, who was brought up in a Catholic school and he was training for the priesthood in a Catholic seminary in the north of England. And then he ran away. Ran away from God, ran away from everything, ran away to London, which is the Rome where you can get lost in London. We've got a lot of young people who run away to London, and they've got lost in these days. And he fell ill, and while he was lying under one of the railway arches where all the drug addicts and people gathered, a prostitute found him, and, and she nursed him back to health. And then he wrote this great poem, Again, I fled him, I fled from him. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth in ways of my own mind. And in the mist of tears I hid from him. 
and under running laughter. And on he went. And as the poem unfolds, it shows that there are relentless feet that are following him all the way. It is love that's following him. And in the end, it brings him to bay and he returns to the Lord. I don't know whether this morning there's someone here and you're running away from God. I have a feeling there may be. You're hiding from him. Some of us hide from God behind our good works, our good resolutions and intentions. We're running away. Maybe we're running away from God and hiding behind our sins. But in Rome there were Christians. Paul was there in prison. And there were other people from, from Colossae in Rome. Onesimus didn't know that. And somehow one of them found him somewhere. Maybe in some hovel, maybe under some archway. Found him there and took him to Paul in prison. And there, Paul led him to Christ. Isn't that lovely? God's got long arms. And he can reach into the abysmal depths which people sink. We don't believe that. The wonderful thing about the Calvary chapels, they were started in the 1970s, 60s, reaching to street people and drug addicts poor lost people, many of whom had run away from home to the beaches of California and that's where the Lord found them and reached them Calvary Chapel was started on that day we never forget that and never become so respectable that we haven't got a heart for the runaways because there are plenty of them still here's the love that finds isn't it lovely? he found me, says one of the choruses he found me and Jesus came to find people. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he found people. It's like he found the lost sheep. The shepherd found the prodigal son. So here's a love, the love of Jesus, that has the right man at the right place at the right time. And we think it was one of these men from Colossae, probably a man called Epaphras who somehow found Onesimus in Rome. The last place you'd think you'd find a runaway. But there he found him, and Jesus found him. Has Jesus found you yet? Jesus came from the glory, died on the cross, that he might find sinners, and he needs to find you and me. Sometimes I find I run away from the Lord, even though I'm Christian. And I get away from him. And I try to hide. I put a mask on. I put some armor on me. Try to hide. But there's a love that follows. Pursues. There was a, a man called George Matheson. And he was very much in love with a, a young lady. And uh, they were dating. And uh, he was a very sensitive man. He was really a poet. But this girl threw him over. And his heart was broken. His life got to pieces. And he went home and he wrote a poem and it said, Oh love that will not let me go. I cast my weary self on thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in its ocean depth its flow might fuller richer be. O oh, light that followest all my way. I cannot hide myself from thee. I don't know whether you know that hymn. It's a famous hymn. Oh, love that will not let me go. 
And there's an elasticity in the grace of God that can reach out, stretch to where you are. And if you're in need of Jesus this morning, he loves you, he died for you. He's got a love that will not let you go. And may he find you this morning. Now Onesimus had not only run away from his master, Philemon, but he had robbed him in the process. And this was a crime that had only one on probably by crucifixion. And we have to realize that we've done a more serious thing. We not only turn away from the Lord and run away from him, but we rob him. We've taken what is not ours to take. We've taken God's glory from him, his rights from him, his possession of our life. We want to live our own life. This is what sin is. It is robbing God. Not just in tithes and offerings, but in many, many ways. And brethren, we mustn't have superficial ideas about sin. We mustn't say, well, sin is just a wrongdoing, it's just a fault, you know, it's just my temperament and so on. Sin at heart is robbing God. It says in Romans chapter 1 that the heart of sin was when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. And the Lord has had to convict me very much that in many areas I don't honor and glorify God as I should. I don't give him the pure love and worship that he is worthy of. I don't give him the total obedience he asks for. And when I don't do this, I mustn't just dismiss it lightly. I must say, in this area, I am robbing God. I find it's easy to draw near to God with one's lips. And you sing a hymn from the top of your head, but your heart's not in it. And you're robbing God at that point. This is a solemn and awful thing to realize in many ways. We rob God. That's what Malachi says at the end of the Old Testament. God charges his people, says, you have robbed me, says the Lord. And they say, how have we robbed you? He says, you've robbed me. You haven't given me my dues. So here he is. He's under the doom of death. And he's come to the Lord. He's converted. How's he going to go back to his master? Because Paul says, you've got to go back to, to the Philemon. How can I go back? With, with this debt I owe. I've robbed him. I've wasted the money. You know, he could put me in prison, I could be, be killed. Now this is where so many make mistakes. They think, if I come to the Lord, I've got to repay him. I've got to do this and do that and do the other to make up for what I've, I've done wrong. No, 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 that's not the way. You don't got to do anything. It's all been done. You mustn't make your Christianity two letters short. Lots of people's Christianities do, do, do. If I do this and do that, then, you know, I'll be right with God. But the real is four-letter word, done, D-O-N-E. Because when Jesus died upon the cross, he said, it's done, it's finished. What's finished? The debt's been paid. It's a wonderful thing to see about the love of Jesus. When he went to the cross, he went to take your sins and mine, and all the wrongs we've done, and to pay the debt. That's what the blood means. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, it was his life given as to pay the penalty for the debt that we owe, for the sin we've committed. It's all been done. Wesley puts it in lovely words. He dies to atone for sins not his own. Our debt he has paid and our work he has done. Isn't that wonderful? Somebody else puts it in another word. 
another word, I owed a debt I could not pay, but he paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to take my sins away, and now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. He paid the debt for me he did not owe. So Jesus has paid the debt. And Paul says here, you see, in his, in his love and kindness for this man, he says, um, if, uh, look at verse uh, 10, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, verse, verse 9, he says, if he's done you any wrong or he owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention you owe me your very self. But if he owes you anything, this runaway slave, put it to my account, I will pay. And here's Jesus, the overtones of the love of Jesus. Father, if that sinner owes you anything, put it to my account, I will pay. And on the cross, Jesus paid the debt that you and I owe God. He paid for our sins. It's wonderful that. And, and we can be free. Now, in the olden days, uh, in England as well, but other countries, when you, owed, uh, when you owed a debt, you had all the things put on the bill that you owe, perhaps a huge debt, and then uh, the, the thing was paid. They, the, they had a custom whereby your bill, your account, would be nailed up on the door of the creditor. And it would stay there until you paid it. When you paid it, it was taken away. And I think this is what Paul is talking about in Colossians 2, when he talks about having forgiveness. He said, Jesus on the cross took our debt, the ordinances that were against us, the laws and ordinances, it says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, you mustn't steal, you mustn't kill, you mustn't do all these things all those things that you haven't done, that you owe to God those ordinances were against us, they charged us with our debt he took it away nailing it to his cross and when Jesus' body was nailed to the cross your sins were nailed there too in him and he bore our sins and took them away in his body on the tree, isn't that wonderful? And you can be as free as the day from guilt and fear and condemnation when you trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. You don't need to live under condemnation one moment longer than it takes you to repent and come to Jesus. You can be gloriously free. So Onesimus can be free. Paul says, you can go back home. I'm paying your debt for you. You needn't fear. And he goes back home. But uh, there's something else, just the last I would want to say. This love that follows us, and love that finds us, and the love that frees us from our guilt, is the love that changes us. The power of the blood of Jesus and the love of Jesus is such that it does not leave you exactly as you were. It puts you in a new category altogether. And so Paul writes to him, to Philemon says that uh, no longer a slave verse 16 I send him back to you he was separated for a little while that you may have him back for good isn't that lovely you and I have been separated from God for a little while when we come we're back with him for good 
for all eternity. And he says, um, he's back no longer as a slave, but as a brother. Is that a change? We're all slaves. Galatians tells us that. We're slaves to our passions. We're slaves to our sin. But when Jesus saves us, he liberates us from the slavery, and we are brothers. Oh, lovely. So it's no longer slaves, but sons. I just want to tell you a little personal story here. When I was a little boy, my mother died as a baby, and I was happened to be brought up by various women. My father was a preacher and was all over the place. And he went to Africa on one occasion, a long trip, and he left us with a woman that had good credentials, and he trusted her, but she turned out to be horrid. And she took me as a little boy and made me do all kinds of things that little boys shouldn't have to do, clean stoves and scrub floors and all kinds of things. My life was an absolute misery. And uh, when she heard my father was coming back, she said, your, your father's coming back again. What's going to happen to me? Well, you're coming with me, she said, and you're going to be my slave. A terrible thing to say. And I remember I lived in dread of the day my father was coming back because I was going to be her slave. And when he came back, he saw I was very unhappy and he got hold of me. I can remember it so vividly. I was only six at the time. He said, what's the matter with you, son? And I said, Mrs. Fields says when you come back that she's going to take me away and I'm going to be her slave. And he looked at me and I can remember so vividly him standing and looking at me saying, did she? And whose son are you? Hers or mine? And I said, and I said, yes, and while you're my son, you will never be her slave. She's going packing tomorrow. I never saw her again. Gave her the sack straight away. <laughs> I think I was telling my children a story like this, and they started crying. And when I said, what are you crying about? He said, if that had happened to you, I wouldn't have had you for my daddy. <laughs> and if she'd taken me to be her slave, you wouldn't have had him, me here for that, your preacher. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but anyway, God says, you're my child, if you've come to Christ. And if you're my child, you cannot be Satan's slave. No longer a slave, but a brother. And we mustn't treat one another as slaves. And think we can manipulate each other. As we choose, we are brothers together in the fellowship. And the last thing is this, you see, that Paul says about him, I'm sending him back to you, verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, yes. And uh, he says um, in verse 11, uh, I appealed to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He, he was, he, Paul had led him to Christ, so he became Paul's spiritual son see he said formerly he was useless to you now he uses a different Greek word here useless but now he has become useful and he uses another Greek words Greek word which is very similar he was useless but now he is useful his name was really Onesimus profitable and he wasn't profitable now he really is profitable what a lovely thing is he may have been lazy and incompetent. He was certainly dishonest. His life was empty and without hope. But now he is profitable. And what a wonderful thing. The gospel changes our life. 
So there's children of God. We receive the Holy Spirit and he changes us from the inside and everything becomes profitable. We learn to have profitable conversation and profitable thoughts and a, and a, and a profitable outlook on life and profitable service because we become filled with that same love of God that has followed us and found us and has freed us and now fills us and when you're filled with the love of God you become profitable in your life and it's not you that are profitable it's Jesus that's profitable through you gives you a profitable ministry isn't that wonderful? does that make your heart throb? does it want to say praise the Lord for this wonderful love that follows me all my way and finds me just where I am at any point and sets me free in forgiveness and then fills my life with the Holy Spirit. And Francis Ridley Havergal, the great hymn writer, wrote once about this letter of Philemon. It says, This story is an exquisite picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ does for every one of us. And this is what the gospel is all about. And I'm preaching this morning. And if it's for you, why don't you receive it? And if you're a Christian, receive it and live in it. Live in this love that follows and finds and frees and fills you. It's the greatest thing in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you this morning that you are the lover of our souls. That you loved us and gave yourself for us all. Lord, forgive us that we so little appreciate this love. Forget about it. We're so filled with self-love that we don't know the love of Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, come this morning. There's souls here in this place who have run away from you all sorts of ways, down the labyrinthine ways of their own minds, and their griefs or their joys up the steeps and down in the valleys they run away from you Lord just follow them this morning find them free them brother and sister if you've been running away from God before we go a step further if you if you want the Lord to find you and you just turn to him where you are he's there right behind you he's been following you all the way turn to him this morning if you're a Christian and you've been running away from the Lord in some way, turn to him now in repentance, will you? And just stand up where you are in your seat as the sign to God, this message is for me. Would you like to? Just stand up quietly while we pray. Any of you that you want the Lord to find, you've been running away from the Lord, running away in your thought life, running away in your emotions, running away in your behavior, just stand up and keep standing. Thank, praise the Lord. Others are going to stand. If you want the Lord to find you. I'm going to go on. If you feel you've been a slave to sin, you've been a slave to your own passions, you've been a slave to legalism, you've been a slave to anything you like, and you will see this morning Jesus died to set you free. Absolutely free. And you want him to free you from your slavery. So that you become a brother instead of a slave you stand up will you say Lord I've been in slavery 
I turn to you. I want you to set me free from guilt and fear and shame and, 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 and regrets, vain regrets, from, from bitterness and jealousies. I want you to set me free. His blood was shed to set you free. Just ask him to do it now, will you, and stand up quietly where you are. Praise God for so many of you standing. There are others of you who need to stand. I need to be set free. Some of you, you've been very unprofitable. And the Lord's going to make you profitable. You wasted time. You waste so much. And you said, Lord, I don't want to waste any more. I don't want to be unprofitable. I want to be profitable. Make me profitable. Fill me with your spirit this morning. May all the words I speak be profitable. May all my contacts be profitable. May my service be profitable. And you give yourself to the Lord this morning to be profitable. Would you like to stand? Praise the Lord. This applies to all of us, doesn't it? Right across the board. But here's this message, this love of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful love. Amazing love. There's nothing greater than the love of God. And it can just do all this for you and me. If we give ourselves to it. Go from, come to this communion service now. And, and, and as you receive the bread and wine, receive in your heart this love of God that died for you and rose again. And can reach you. And go out into this next week and live in the love of God. Filling your heart. Oh, I can tell you this my own experience. God can so fill you with this love, you can hardly breathe for it. You just want to take off. He can do it for you. Lord, bless all these who have stood. You know our hearts. You know our desires. And we are so helpless in ourselves. But we give ourselves now to you, Lord Jesus. And to the power of your love that can do all this far, far more than Paul did for, Philia, for, for Onesimus. But what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and glory. Amen.